Hello everybody, this is Pastor Iris again and guess what? We are in Northern Ireland. Well it's not quite true is it because Northern Ireland has come to us. Actually that's not quite true either is it Hugh? We've sort of met in the middle because there's a line down the screen and we're in the virtual studio. <laughs> you must not lie, liars cannot go to heaven. <laughs> You know, I was thinking, Hugh, um, well, quite recently, I wrote a little piece for a magazine, a, a newsletter in, in one of the one of the um, ministries around here. And, and I found myself writing about the little things that we need to tweak as Christians. And that scripture about a liar will not be allowed to enter. The kingdom of heaven is so important because if you think about it, we, we lie without realising that we're lying. If we tell a white lie to get somebody out of trouble, it's still a lie. And if we say something to somebody that is flattering, it is better to say nothing than to tell a lie. And and it was such a powerful prompting that I wrote this this little piece, and as I was writing, it was developing, and and I thought, well, that that is powerful, because when we tell our children, no, you can't, because mummy hasn't got any mummy money today, and mummy's got money in her purse. It's a lie. It is a direct, deliberate lie. And so we have to pull ourselves up short to, to zip it, basically, and really think about what comes out of our mouth before we speak. But I, I would say this to everybody, that it's time to repent of all of those times that you may not even realise that you lied, when it was just to cover up something for somebody else, just let the Holy Spirit bring it all back to mind and just repent of it and be, be aware of the simple fact that you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven if you are a liar. And people say, why? Because God actually forgives everybody of everything. Yes, he does. However, he would not have another satanic incident in heaven and a liar can never, ever be trusted. You could never know when a liar is not telling the truth. So that's what I just want to convey to everybody. If you think you're covering things up, you need to get it right with God. Amen. So, Hugh, it's really good to see you. We've got some lovely weather happening in the UK. And I'm looking forward to getting out in the garden this afternoon. That would be nice for an hour and uh, hay fever as well but it's actually getting a lot better than it was i think most of the tree pollen now is gone and i think that's what i suffer from the most but um yeah it's been been a really lovely spring so far we've had some heavy rain and uh, now the grass is looking very brown because it got droughted you know but at the end of the day we're looking forward to a really really glorious summer and I know that that you're just we're just looking forward to hearing from you because you've not been very well, 
and it's good to have you back on and you're looking a lot better than you did last time I saw you. <laughs> Just thank you. <laughs> so what have you got for us today? Thank you, Iris. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm only here by the grace of God and, I, and that's right. I've had a little bit of testing and trial and illness and the Lord has brought me through. And uh, we have, have gone and journeyed together through the first and second books of Thessalonians. And we have arrived at the last chapter, which hopefully we may be able to bring to a conclusion today. We'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, it's good to be in the word of God. It's good to have fellowship together in the truth. And that's basically what this is about. It's a presentation of what the scriptures are saying, what God has recorded and preserved these words over 2,000 years, right, to we have them today in our English language. And we thank God for that. So we just want to trust and rely upon the Lord to help us. And the final chapter here, those people that are interested, the, the uh, previous sessions have been recorded on our on the internet. And if they ask Iris, you'll be able to point them in the right direction. So we've come to uh, the last chapter of Second Thessalonians, which is chapter three. And we have moved down uh, virtually the first five verses. Uh, Paul is summing up uh, his ministry. He has been, by God's grace, been able to share with us in the first book all about the coming, the parousia, of a coming again, the promise of our Lord Jesus that he would come again. And we get details of that coming within the first book of Thessalonians. Every, every reference uh, to the coming of Jesus is applicable to the fulfillment of the promise of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first letter, uh, that's it. And in the second letter, which I think was about a year, 18 months later, the, there was a problem and, and Paul had to clarify again in the first letter. He sums up in the first chapter of the second letter, he sums up what he had actually shared with them in the first letter. And in the second letter, he then in, in, in brings into play uh, a thought that, that there shall be a falling away. So somehow in the path before Jesus comes, there's going to be, it seems, some type of awakening. And one would believe that perhaps maybe this is reference to the outpouring of God's spirit globally upon the earth, because the word of God says that there will be a, a time of, and people will feel at peace and safety. And if God moves mightily in this world of, of trouble and distress and pain and upset, God can calm the whole situation down within a very short space of time and create an environment where people think this is amazing. And in that environment, the name of Jesus, God's son, can be exalted. But the word of God says here, and unfortunately, human nature being what it is, and religion being what that is, there can be a falling away from the truth. And that's exactly what Paul, by the Spirit of God, says that there will come this falling away from the truth. What is the truth? The truth is, 
is absolutely and totally, completely fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus, an actual person who has been exalted to the throne of God. And God has promised him that he would send him back, that this world would acknowledge that he is the Lord and that every tongue would confess that he is the Lord Jesus, God of all. So that's what's going to happen. And it seems in the falling away, this uh, personality seemingly uh, cult which has developed within Christendom, it's who's the best at this and who's the best at that, whose ministry is the most successful. But in that environment of personalities, this one personality will arise uh, and uh, he shall indeed enjoy the popularity and the blessing of the people and the blessing of God. But Satan gets in, same as he did with Judas of old. This man is called the son of perdition, the same title that Jesus gave to Judas. So this man turns, turns people's attention away from the central person that God has set for time and for all eternity, set in his son, this person turns the attention onto himself. It says that he sits in the temple. That's the, the word neos in the Greek. It's not the heron. It's not speaking about a physical temple. It's speaking about the group of congregation of people that join together to worship God. It's the neos. It's the place where God is worship. So he feels comfortable and he sets himself within that environment of people that he may be the center of their attention. And in all of that, God says, that's enough. I've had enough now. After all that I've given them, after all the grace and the blessing that's poured out, this is just the way I see this, that God says, I'll hand you over to this deceit and to this delusion. And God himself even sends a strong delusion to bring this to a conclusion of divine judgment, I believe, at the coming of the Lord Jesus, which will be unexpected. Jesus said, my coming will be unexpected. There will be an environment that they will not be thinking about me coming. They'll be thinking and having a wonderful time, as it was in Sodom and Gomorrah, as it was in the judgment of those nations, so shall it be when it comes the Lord Jesus. So there's some things to unfold in the last stage here before Jesus come. And, and Paul was making that clear in the word of God. And I would encourage everybody to read the scriptures and take the scriptures as truth, even if you cannot place it in a position that you can reason with, doesn't matter. Just accept the word of God and say that what this environment that God's speaking about, that will come to pass because God has said it, and that's what happens. It comes to pass in time, and when it happens, people don't realize. And unfortunately today, I don't think there's a lot of study going on in the scriptures or really uh, a lot of searching and seeking the face of God. But that's the story today. That's something above and beyond my ability. But he's speaking now in, in the last uh, uh, chapter of, of the second Thessalonians, and he's saying, finally, brethren, in verse one there, that God's in the business and he's, he's, he's trusting God to bless them and keep them. Verse three, the Lord is faithful. 
who shall establish you and keep you from evil. You know, in this process of life, of this world believing, we need God to help us. We need God to keep us. We need God to look after us. Brothers and sisters, I'll tell you today, if you're left on your own, you'll never survive. You will never survive if you're left on your own. We need the Lord, it says, who is faithful, and we can trust the Lord Jesus. You know, we can trust the Lord Jesus ultimately and absolutely and every word he says. Though we can't see him. He's alive and well today. He's walking about heaven today in a body of flesh and bones. He's the firstborn of a new creation. You know, I lost my wife not so long ago. I don't want to get into that, but it's something I realize is that, that death comes upon everybody because this world is a temporary habitational place. This world is a temporary place. Everybody must shed this body, which is really basically a corrupt and dying body. Everybody has to shed this body. Those people that have come to faith and, and love and relationship to God through our Lord Jesus are taken by God, by his angels or by his presence, whatever way he wants to do it, that's his business. But they're taken into God's presence. And that's a spiritual place. So they became, they are a spiritual person. We are spiritual people. We're, we're just inhabiting and captivated by this physical temple, this body um, that, that we carry until it comes to an end and we're released. Our spirit person goes on. Thankfully, those that are saved into the very presence of God. So that's what the Lord has in his mind. So this is a temporary situation. That's why Jesus came into the midst of this world. And he says, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come to give you the gift of what? Everlasting life. The gift of eternal life. He's the only one has the ability to give us the eternal life. In this world, life is temporary. It, some people die in the womb. Some people die at very old age. And in between, they die at all ages. But Jesus said, I have come to give you eternal, everlasting life. That's the promise of God in Christ Jesus. You'll never get any better deal than that anywhere. Not in time, not in eternity. You can search through the heavens. You can search through the universes. You will never, ever get another opportunity or another offer like that. That's why it's foolishness for people to turn their back on God. At least give him a chance. At least seek his face. At least knock on his door and knock very loud. And at the end of the day, you can say, well, I knocked your door loud. And God will say, if you knock my door loud, I heard you and I answered you. That's how God is. He says, those that seek him, they will find him. So what I want to say is that the Lord Jesus, through his life here in a body of flesh, on bones, on blood, holy, holy body, holy blood, died and sacrificed himself at Calvary, shed his blood. I don't understand the mystery of our salvation. I don't understand all the pain and the suffering that the Son of God had to go through. I understand that we are guilty sinners needing saved. 
I understand that Jesus gave himself, but I don't fully understand all this whole mystery of God's salvation. I don't think any human person in the world will ever understand that absolutely until we pass through the veil and God shows us something we could not be shown here. But Jesus, I want to point out, Jesus was a person who was unique. He was without sin, but he took our sins. But when he died and went into that grave, his body was put to rest in spirit. In spirit, he went to paradise. He went to the abyss and he told them there who he is. And he declared that he is the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of glory. And hell heard that message from the master's lips himself. He went to paradise and he greeted the saints of God. And he took those people. He emptied paradise, the Old Testament paradise. He emptied it when he ascended into heaven and he brought them into God's eternal heavenly place. That's where the saints of God are in spirit. But Jesus is the only person who in his body was resurrected and glorified. And the magic, and a marvelous magical way, Jesus has been transformed and glorified in his body and has gone into heaven. He has a body glorified, God glorified, the glorification of the almighty God, the son of God. And he has expressed that glory in heaven. And he's got a body of flesh and bones. His blood, I think, can be preserved there in a vial or something. But that blood speaks for time and for all eternity, that this is the precious blood of the Son of God that gave himself for us and for the whole of redemption and for the whole of a new creation. You see, Jesus, let me say that Jesus is the firstborn. There's no one like him. There has never been anybody like him. Adam could never be like him. But Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn of a new creation. And he is the one that, that his people who have died and discarded that wretched old corrupt body will be given a body at God's time and God's place and God's way, the resurrection of the just, it's called. They will receive a body like unto Jesus' gloriously body, and they will be reunited for Jesus for time and for all eternity. But we have to wait. We have to wait. He has gone through that. He has gone to heaven. The saints of God have discarded the bodies. They're lying in the grave somewhere. They don't mean anything. It's just a, a, a waste. It's just a body not worth anything. But they will receive a new body and resurrected in a new body. And their own body here on the earth, if we're living, will be translated and we'll be caught up to meet the Lord together. And there, and there will be no more separation, no more separation. Once we meet together, we meet together, the Lord will be with him forever. There will be no more separation whatsoever. That's all over. All the pain, all the suffering, all the struggling, everything that you've known that's negative in this world will be gone for the people of God when they meet together with Jesus. And if you get into heaven, before me, uh, and you get rid of the body you've got, and you get into heaven, you'll go into an environment that's heavenly, that's beautiful, that's wonderful, 
and there's no no suffering there either. There's no pain. It's just it's just the the wonderful sense of God's presence and God's light and God's breath. But that environment now in heaven is not the final environment that God has destined to exist when He's finished with this program, when Jesus has been sent back, when Jesus has ruled this earth, when Jesus has been acknowledged as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when Jesus has put down all enemies, and when Satan is released from that prison during that reign, after the end of that prison, uh, someone said to me, I think it may have been even Irish is talking to me about Gog and Magog, but at the end of Jesus' reign, Gog and Magog raise their head, and the Satan's there to envelop them and to stir them up against the one last time against the Son of God, who has reigned for a thousand years with peace and righteousness. And God says, that's enough now. And the whole thing is wiped out. The whole thing is wiped out. The fire of God destroys everything. And Satan and all those souls before the great white throne goes to their destination in God. But there's a place. There's a place coming. It's called a new heaven and the new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. That's the ultimate and final heaven for God's people and their destiny. And you know, there's a statement made there specifically in Revelation. You can read it, I think it's chapter 20 or 21. It says, when God, God shows a picture that this, this environment of all of, his, all of his redeemed, all the nations that are saved, that God is in the midst of them. And it says this, and there is no temple there. Yeah. No temple there. Why is there no temple? Because it's a complete amalgamation together as one in the very presence of the eternal God, God himself and the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, they are the temple therein and there's fellowship. That's, that's an amazing situation and we don't know much about that. We don't know much about that, but that is the ultimate place that God has set for us. Now, how did I get into all that? I don't know, but there you are. God, just take it out of me. And, and Paul's just closing this letter with some practical thoughts. And he says that his confidence in the Lord touching you. Thank God for that, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And he says in verse 5, and the Lord direct your hearts. Your hearts, you see, God's in the heart business. He knows the mind. And it's important, but it's your heart that God looks at. That's the seat of your will, of your emotions, of yourself, of your personality, of your being. Your brain is one thing working everything out, but your heart is the center core of your life. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. That's the most important thing. Let me say that everything in this world will fail you will fail me, but here's something that will never fail. It's called the love of God. The love of God will go on forever and forever. So you want to bathe and, and get close to the love of God. If you're sheltered in God's presence and in God's love, there's nothing to compare to that. And we pray that the Lord would also bring into our hearts this love of God and into here 
have underlined this, and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now, this was written 2,000 years plus ago. I looked up to see what, what the intelligentsia would say was a generation. They say based on the facts that they have today, it's 25 years. I worked out in 2000, that's 80 generations. So from generation to generation, those people have been expected by God to patiently wait for Christ. One generation after 100 AD, they had to wait. God says, I want you to wait patiently for Christ. They pass. Next generation, next generation, next generation. Here we are. Any generations has passed, more or less. God has said, so the time must be coming to an end. We cannot go on and on and on. God says these things have come to pass in the last days. Now we command, now we command you, he says, now Paul says, and all of the light that God is doing in our lives, now he brings a command in. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the name that is above every other name. There is no other name in heaven and earth or hell greater than this name. This is the name of which Satan must move and give into. This is the name which disease and sickness must give into. This is the name that has all authority because it's the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Lord of glory, the Lord Yeshua Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. He has fulfilled all of that in the person of the Lord Jesus. Now, what is he saying, command? Well, I thought to myself, whoa, this is going to be difficult for some people. But I'm just, I'm just going to preach this truth here. I am not even going to judge. It's not me to judge. But the apostle here, Paul, Paul the apostle, he gives this command. It seems it's important to him, to the fellowship of God's people. He says that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. That's a strange statement to make. He's saying to his believers here in Thessalonica, Thessalonians, I want you to withdraw from every person that you see is walking disorderly. You don't hear that preached, do you, these days? But, but that's a fact, because why is he saying that? And not after the tradition which he received of us. This tradition is God's tradition. It's the tradition that And I, I like the fact that he says of us and we and us, this is not one man ministry, Paul. All Sylvanus and Timotheus together collectively have agreed. And God says, where two or three of you agree together. So this is, this is the divine will and revelation of God that they have given. God has given this direction. And in the authority of his life and ministry, this is his word. And ministry to these people. To withdraw yourself from every person who's walking disorderly. And you have to ask yourself, what do you mean disorderly? I went into that word in the Greek, mean disorderly. It means it's just just not not in the rank, not not 
walking as the soldiers walk together in accord, doing what, what should be done. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. Now, what's he talking about? He's going to explain now what he's talking about. He says, we've, we've made it clear by our own actions, Paul says, Timothy and Silas, we have made it clear by our own actions what an orderly walking person should be doing. For we behave not ourselves disorderly. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. And we'll be closing off now. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. That's a strange situation. But he's saying, look, listen, I know, I want you to take notice of what we've been doing. We just haven't been going into your homes and eating the food and taking from you whatever we, we need. He says, no, but, there's God's but, this is Paul now. This is the man that, that wrote most of these letters. This is the man that, that, that served the Lord God Almighty, who, who serves Jesus. But wrought work, that means working with labor. That means hard labor, sweat and travail. I looked up those two words, sweat and hard work, night and day. Here's Paul putting himself through this situation of working with his hands night and day to show an example that we may not be chargeable to any of you. He says, there's no way I want any of you to feel that, you know, we're going to be chargeable to you. That's not going to happen. And he says, not because we have not power. Now, that word power is authority. It's, the fact is that God says the, the man who serves in the temple can get supported. Well, being supported is one thing, but being super rich is another, isn't it? Absolutely. So it's, it's a balance. Yeah. Not because we have not power. Now, he had the power to expect to get a living from the gospel. Mm. But in this instance, he said, no, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. No free wheelers. If you're able and you're physically able, and you have an opportunity to do a job and find a way to work, then that's what you should do. So I need to finish here because time is run out. I'd like to go on, but we don't have the time. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. <laughs> so you want to be a busy body, uh, which is a, a shame, or do you want to be a, somebody for God serving him, doing the work, doing what's right, doing what's decent. So it's a strange thing to me that in this whole letter, this here is a point that Paul brings out. It's got to do with finance. It's got to do with reward. It's got to do with receiving. And also I remember the words of Jesus when he said, he sent his apostles out. He sent the 70 out. He says, freely you have received Freely give. And Paul in the Corinthian letter makes it very clear 
that what God gives is a gift, and you can't earn that gift. You can't buy that gift. If God has gifted you as an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that's a gift. And we need to finish because the time has run out for us. And we just pray that God will bless this word to our hearts and help us to live in the light and in the principles of it, the basic principles of God's word and God's truth, which never changes until he comes back. Amen. Amen. You know, I was just thinking, Hugh, that what the command that Jesus left for everyone before he went to his death on the cross for all of us was simply a command to love everybody the way he has loved us, to love each other yeah. the way he has loved us. And that is what the world is missing. It's full of hatred and evil. Yeah. But I just want to read a few words out of the out of Revelation, the last page of Revelation, um, from chapter twenty-two, and Jesus's final words and John's final testimony. I got this from the Passion version. Before, behold, I'm coming quickly. I bring my reward with me to repay everyone according to their works. I am Alpha and the Tav, the first and the last the beginning and the completion. Wonderfully blessed are those who wash their robes white so they can access the tree of life. Enter the city of bliss by its open gates. <laughs> those not permitted to enter are outside the malicious, hip, no, sorry, the malicious hypocrites the sexually immoral, sorcerers, murderers, idolaters, and every lover of lies. I, Jesus, sent my angel to you to give you this testimony to share with the congregations. I am the bright morning star, both David's spiritual root and his descendant. Come. Amen says the Holy Spirit and the Bride in divine duet. Let everyone who hears this duet join them in saying, come. Yeah. Let everyone grip with spiritual thirst say, come. And let everyone who craves the gift of living water come and drink it freely. It yeah. is my gift to you. Come. I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. If anyone yeah. adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. There are plagues actually described ahead of this chapter. And if anyone subtracts from the prophetic words of this book, God yeah. will remove his portion from the tree of life. And yes. the city which are described in this book. So you can lose your gifts in yeah. heaven and your rewards. The one who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Amen. Lord Jesus. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the holy believers. Amen. Amen. There's only one word to say to that. That's Maranatha. <laughs> Amen. You know, that is an absolute warning to all those people that, that 
that preach the 39 steps to a perfect marriage to get everybody coming back to church every week and tell the stories around the scriptures instead of telling the scriptures. That is speaking to those people. Don't do it. Turn around and turn around quickly because there's not that much time left. Amen. And there we've got to leave it for now, but we will be back. And um, really pleased to say that, thank God, because of his grace, we will be back. Amen. Bye-bye for now, everybody. Bye. Say bye-bye, you. Bye-bye.